Turn in your scripture to Luke 17, 11 through 19. That's the text that I've been given for this evening. Luke, Luke 17, 11 through 19. And the subject that I've been given is one who gave thanks. That's the subject. And what I'd like to do is, is to make a few comments as I read through the eight verse text. Then after doing that, I want to present to you a comprehensive view of salvation as presented in the text. You got it? All right, we're going to start out with verse 11. Hope you have your copies ready. Let me read verse 11 to you. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. No doubt about it, Jesus is on a mission. And that mission will end in Jerusalem, and it will culminate at the cross. He's going to have to pass through Samaria. And if you don't know this, Jesus had a great love for the Samaritans. It was the lady at the well that he told he would give her living water. One of the greatest parables we have is in regard to the Good Samaritan. And in Acts chapter 1, it says, Evangelize in uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and yes, even to the uttermost part of the world. Jesus loved the Samaritans. And he's going to go right through the center from Galilee to Samaria to the Judea and on into Jerusalem. Now, why that's somewhat important is because the Jewish nation hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated them. The nation of, of Jews called them half-breeds. And every time they, they traveled from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem, they went around Samaria. They never wanted to go through it. And they'd go out of their way to stay away from it. But Jesus, he's bearing right toward Jerusalem, right straight through Samaria. Verse 12 and 13. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Will you notice that the lepers stood at a distance? You know why, don't you? They had to. Now, I know I would date myself, but I saw Ben-Hur back when I was in high school. And if you saw Ben-Hur, you remember in that movie, there was a time when Charlton Heston and his girlfriend went down to feed his girlfriend's brother who had leprosy. And if you saw that movie, they would take the food, and he'd be down at the bottom of a riverbank, and they'd place the food here, walk away from him, and then he'd come up and get his food. Why? Leviticus 13 had laws and regulations on how you dealt with a person who had leprosy. The scripture says, and the regulations were, they had to wear torn clothes. They had no hair. They were like me. They had to cover the lower part of their face with a scarf. If they came in contact with anybody, they had to cry out, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. And they had to live alone outside the camp. That's the situation that these lepers found themselves in. I played in a leper colony. Back on one of my first mission trips to the Far East, while traveling through those countries, 
while we were in Taipei, Taiwan, we visited a leper colony, and we put on an exhibition. And even then, back in the 60s, a few years ago, they had to stay away from us because they had leprosy. Verse 14. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. There was another healing of the leper in Luke 5, 13. Now, there's a little bit of difference between the two because in this one, the one I'm reading, he doesn't touch any of the ten. He just says, go show yourself to the priests. But in 5.13, the single leper, he did lay his hands upon that leper and he healed him there. Verses 15 and 16. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet and he gave thanks. And that guy was a Samaritan. You see, on the way to the priest, they came to realize that they'd been cured. And they had walked some distance, but not a great distance. And the Samaritan realized that he had been healed. said, I can see the priest later. So he returned to give praise, honor, and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. 17 to 19. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were they not found, were not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I think on the, on the way to the priest, uh, excuse me, I think on the way to the priest, they had an argument although it's not listed in the scripture. This is Simon's interpretation because they all knew they had been healed. And I think that the Samaritan said, let's go back and tell Jesus. Let's go back and see him. Let's go back and honor him. You will notice that he's the only one that went. All the other nine continued on without gratitude. So this is kind of a review of the scripture Now I want to look at three things before I close tonight. And the first thing that I want you to see as we break down this comprehensive text on salvation, I want you to consider this, that there is a cry for mercy that is always certain of a saving response. There is a cry for mercy that always receives a saving response. We'll see that in the text. There is also a display of saving faith that rises above the evidence and bring salvation from our Lord. You'll see that in our text tonight. And then lastly, you'll see that there's, there is a thanksgiving in which our Lord is greatly delighted with. There is a thanksgiving that comes from us, that He is delighted to hear from us. Now, be aware of this. Leprosy is symbolic of the corrupting power and condemning presence of sin. And leprosy is much more than a disease. Leprosy represented sin. And leprosy, like sin, works death. And the lepers were considered to be walking around as if they were dead. 
walking dead. Now, that tickles or hits something in me because one time I had a basketball coach tell me that I looked like the living dead. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? When I played ball, the place we hated to go on a road trip was Colorado, Boulder, University of Colorado, because we're up over a mile from the plains of Kansas to the mountains, and it was different. And you'd have a hard time sometimes getting oxygen. I played three times there. I don't think I played very good in any of those games. But when I was a senior, I was captain, and that meant added responsibility. And so I had played a bad half, as did all the rest of the guys that were in the locker room. And in comes the coach, Tex Winter, who I love. But that night I didn't love him <laughs> too much because he came in and got, over, got on everybody. And then before we went out to tip it off for the second half, he got me. Simons, are you sick? No, sir. You sure you're not sick, Simons? No, sir. You look sick. You have played sick. I tell you what I'm going to do when we get back to Manhattan. I'm going to check you in the health center, have them thoroughly check you over, because no one could play as bad as you played in the first half and not be sick. You look like the living dead. I look like the living dead, and I'm sure I played that way too. Living dead. And you know, that's a good spiritual term, because all of us are sinners. We all come into this world as a sin, sinner. And we live, we go to school, we work, we marry, we do all those things. But until we come to Christ, we are as living dead. And that's the lepers. They were walking dead. Now, here's what I think we can learn from the text. That's a cry for mercy is always certain of a saving response. Now, in our text, I want you to notice something about that cry. First of all, to whom was that cry addressed? And that cry was addressed to Jesus. Jesus, Master. That's who the cry was addressed to. Jesus, Master. And Jesus hears that cry and is filled with compassion like only he can give. And his compassion is like water always ready to flow downward into low places to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to liberate the oppressed, to save those who are crushed in spirit. That's the cry Christ is waiting to hear. He's anxious to hear that. But notice also about the cry, it's content. What was the content of the cry? Because it was successful And the content is, have mercy on us. That's what the leper said. Have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And that's the cry I heard. And that's the cry I made. And Jesus heard my cry and saved me when I was 19 years of age. But there's also a cry that is unsuccessful in receiving a saving response. And you know, it's right in the next chapter. In fact, there's a cry that is not heard, and there's a cry that is heard. And I want you to look with me in 18, 
chapter 18. And I want you to look at 11 because we start out with the unsuccessful cry that is not heard that comes from the Pharisee. I read in verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Why, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. The Pharisee, the tax collector, presents his merits, why he is deserving, why he is righteous. And notice what Jesus, how he responds. You're not justified. You will not be justified. Your works are unacceptable. But look at 13. The tax collector. You know, I was doing some study on this, and I, and I read that there are three examples of Jesus dealing with tax collectors. And you know, they were considered scoundrels. There's three times he deals with tax collectors. Ladies and gentlemen, all three times these individuals became believers. All three times they are saved. And they're all crying out. I need you. I need you. Have mercy on me. Have pity on me. Look at verse 13. And here the tax collector. The tax collector standing afar off would not even raise his eyes to heaven. But he beats on his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, he had salvation right. He understood or un- understands that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is point number one. A humble Faithful cry is always certain of a gracious, saving response. All right, let's look at number two. And let's look at the display of saving faith that rises above the evidence for one to receive salvation from our Lord. That's what the lepers were dealing with. Notice in verse 14 that Jesus demanded the lepers to go show themselves to the priest. And I want to tell you, they had great fear. They had great fear of rejection. They were very insecure. Maybe they had been there before and they knew how they would say, no, you're not clean. And yet Jesus had told them to go show yourselves to the priest. They were afraid. But that's what a display of saving faith requires. You see, they believed in the authority of Jesus Christ. They also believed in the faith that's in His Word. And that's what Jesus required them to do. They responded in and with saving faith. Now, a a key here is the lepers believed before the splotches of leprosy were gone. I don't know if you can pick that up, but they believed before they they saw the splotches being gone. Contrary to the evidence... uh, of the senses because Christ had told them to do it. They believed before. And that's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. We live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. We do not live by sight. I think when I read that verse, always about Thomas, the disciple called the doubting Thomas. You know, he wasn't there when Jesus came the first time into the room where the disciples were. He wasn't there. I don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. And so they told him, 
the rest of the disciples told him about Jesus' appearance. And he says, I won't believe it. Not until I see the nail prints in his fingers. Not until I see where the sword went into his side. I'll, I'll not believe. I won't believe it. I think the scripture says about eight days later, Jesus appears again. Walks right into the room where all the disciples were, including Thomas. Thomas, come here. Feel him. Shows him the nail prints in his fingers. Look here, into my side. See the hole? Thomas, don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Believe I am who I said I am. Two things happened from, after that from Thomas that I really love. First, what many people say is one of the greatest prayers ever prayed. And it's a short prayer. Thomas prays, my Lord and my God. He saw him. He knew the truth. My Lord and my God. And then Thomas says something that gives me great confidence, and it should give great confidence to you. Because he says, more blessed, more blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. More blessed are those who have not seen but yet have believed. We live by faith. We don't live by sight. Now, salvation has some other essentials to it. One of them is that you're, you don't wait until you're clean until you come to God. The old song, just as I am. You don't wait till you're cleaned up. You come as you are. But you come in your uncleanness so that you might be made clean. You come as unrighteous. To be be declared just by the blood. Now, I I ran across this in Leviticus 14 that I really liked. And they had, in the the latter process of cleaning up a uh, a leper, the restoration of a leper, they had a sacrifice they went through. Maybe you know all about it. If you don't, listen listen to what happened. I think it's really cool. Uh, They did this at the end. And these lepers had gone. They're now clean. And this would be the final process for these lepers to be, clear, be declared clean by the priest. And this sacrifice that they had to go through was a clear testimony of the saving work of Christ. They brought in two birds, doves, I'm told. And they gave the doves to the priest. So you got the priest, two doves, two birds, and the leper. And the, the priest would kill one of the birds and drain his blood into a pot, which represented Christ's substitutionary death and his atonement for our sin. The other bird would then be dipped in the blood, but it's still alive. And then the leper seven times would, would receive blood from the same pot. So now you got the live bird full of blood, the leper with seven applications of blood, and the priest. And then the priest would take this live bird full of blood and release it into the sky. Just release it. Let it go. And then the priest and the leper would observe the bird flying farther and farther away. And the farther it went, the less able they were to see the blood until they could no longer see any evidence of the sin. 
And that's great news for the leper because now the leper is free. He's cleansed. His sin is gone. He is free. And if the Son will make you free, you all know the rest of it. You'll be free indeed. One of the guys I read said that probably the leper and the, and the priest would be thinking about Psalm 103.12 as the bird flew away. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sin. As far as the east is from the west. Lesson number three. This is the last one. And lesson number three is this. The thanksgiving for salvation our Lord, our Lord Jesus greatly delights in. Our thanksgiving for our salvation our Lord so greatly delights in. He loves to hear that from us. And remember, this miracle that we've read about gives us a broad view of salvation. And before salvation, anyhow, for me, I had guilt. I knew I was a sinner. I had the guilt. And then during salvation, I began to understand grace and God's unmerited favor upon me. And then after salvation, gratitude. Thanksgiving, from guilt to grace to gratitude, should occur in us as we go through the process of salvation. Do you think all ten lepers were saved? I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to tell you what I learned in my study because I had a little bit of a problem until I got to reading. They all were saved. They all were saved. All ten of them. Because they all were healed. They all were cleansed. They all showed faith. And they received saving faith. All ten of them. But, yes, there was one who showed gratitude. There was one who said, yeah, I'll thank him. I'll go back and I'll thank him. Gratitude is the result of salvation. It is not the cause You know what? These nine represent us in many ways. Not all of us are very thankful for what God has done for us. And we can look at some indicators in regard to gratitude and just ask yourself, how are you doing in these areas? Do you praise God in prayer for everything? That's a good indicator. If if you have thankfulness, if you have gratitude, do you thank God for everything? Uh, Bob is with us tonight, Bob Wood. And Bob and I pray twice a week together in groups on Tuesday and on Sunday. And I don't know if he realizes he's taught me this, but he's taught me to be thankful in everything. And it brings tears to my eyes when he starts doing this. And I'm, I'm not picking on you, Bob, nor am I raising you up here, but I love you and I love to pray with you. But often, Bob will pray something like this. God, I thank you for the air conditioning in the summer in my house. I thank you for the heat when it's winter. I thank you that I've got a few coins in my pocket so we can go to breakfast at McDonald's after we pray and I can buy Jeff his breakfast. I thank you that i got a little money in my pocket. I've got a little money in the bank. I thank you 
that I can go to this prayer meeting and, and, and go freely. I thank you that I have a church that teaches the truth. And it's on and on and on. Not always the same, but always presenting to me that we ought to thank God for everything that He provides for us. And certainly, the great salvation that we have. Sometimes my prayers are just requests. God shame me. Sometimes they're even complaints because I haven't received what I want. Maybe the same thing happens to you. What about giving? That's another good indicator of gratitude. Do we give back to God for all that He has given to us? Do we give? What about serving? Just pick up the bulletin every Sunday. You'll see opportunities. Are we gracious and have enough gratitude to thank God for our salvation and turn around and serve Him? We certainly ought to be doing that. And then I realize that guilt's not the motivator and shame on me for trying to put you on guilt and I'm not trying to put you on guilt. Your guilt and my guilt was taken away at the cross. But if you remember back, the Samaritan leper gave us a good model and a good example that we read tonight. It's a good thing. It's a great thing to be grateful. Sometime in this postmodern society, it didn't go very well. Even down to, I was talking to a friend of mine, and maybe you've experienced this, and maybe you haven't. But this guy is an individual who likes to to give gifts. And he does give gifts. And he gives gifts for birthdays and for weddings. You know the things that we have opportunities. He said, 70% of the people I give gifts to, I never hear anything from them again after I give the gifts. And some have said it's a society, it's a culture we live in. We're not grateful. We're not thankful. I know I'm not supposed to put you on a guilt trip, but shame on us if we're like that. You know what? Alexander McLaren had this statement about receiving gifts. He says, We increase the sweetness of our gifts by thankfulness for them. And in doing that, we taste it again. We taste the sweetness of the gift again when we stop and say thanks and present gratitude to our God and to other people. The greatest reason for our thanksgiving to Christ is one that I think is pretty evident. He has great joy when he sees our gratitude. He loves it. He has great joy when he sees us bringing thanksgiving to him. Many of you are married. This is for you grooms. But the greatest gift a bride can give her love-smitten groom is the overflowing joy of her heart toward you. Her love, her joy toward you. So to please our Lord and to give Him pleasure, we should express to Christ, He will always mean more to us. Our relationship, our intimacy to Him will always mean more to us than any gift we would ever receive. I'm through, except for this. 
ought to sing like Jimmy does. But I'm worse than Jimmy. So you don't want to hear me sing. But this is a song. How can I say thanks for the things that you have done for me? Things so undeserved yet you gave to prove your love for me? The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory. Three times, to God be the glory for the things he's done. With his blood he saved me. With his power he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Gratitude. Just let me live my life and let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. And if there's any praise that I would gain, let it go to you in Calvary. Because with his blood he saved me. With his power he's raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. One leper came back. The other nine, nine kept going. Let us be the one that comes back and gives thanksgiving to God. So, Father, we thank you for this uh, scripture passage you've given to us. And, Lord, teach us a lesson and teach the speaker a lesson. Oh, how we need to be thankful for the things that you've done. You saved us. You've given us saving faith. You've transformed our lives. You've given us new hope. Lord, and we say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you for the things you have done and the things you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.